Hello and welcome to Numbers on the Boards, presented by Fanboys, the official toy store of the Dallas Mavericks. This is the only podcast in the world where two dudes sit around and talk about sports. My name <laughs> is Bobby Corella. No pod, no show last week on 97.1 The Freak on Studio 41 Radio, Mavs YouTube channel, because the Mavs didn't play any games. No, it didn't happen that I recall. But they won a game against Indiana, so buckle up. It's a wall-to-wall coverage of the Mavs win against the Pacers. That's right, two straight hours yep. of Reggie Bullock versus Jordan Wara talk. Joining me on this endeavor, the great, the legend, Jeff Skin Wade. It's huge. I've been wanting to talk about this Pacers game now for a week. <laughs> Don't worry about the loss in between. Uh, this Only the one loss in between. Yeah, yeah not, not that's yet. That's it. Uh, man, these are strange times. Very strange times. Pretty strange. How do you... Uh, normally, this is a podcast that serves out copium, serves out hopium. We have, we have hand-waved away many fears, many worries. We have quelled concerns over mm-hmm. the years. We've talked during some high highs, and, buddy, we've talked during some low lows. These kind of feel like uncharted waters. How are you, how are you faring this, this sea of despair right now? Uh, okay, so going back to last Friday against the Hornets through uh, the end of the game Sunday against the Hornets, that is the dumbest weekend I've ever experienced. Stunk. What? Stunk. What? Like. So, look, we, uh, I look at this season two different ways, right? Pre-Kyrie and post-Kyrie. Obviously, you make the Kyrie Irving trade, and you know, hey, we still have some deficiencies, but we've got over this hump, uh, and now we have two stars, and then, you know, hopefully we can put together a nice little run and get Kyrie to resign and then start working on the things that we need to build around them. And some of the losses I could stomach, I was disappointed they were losses, but when it comes down to a final possession and you lose to Phoenix and KD... Or, it was a coin flip game against a good team. Hey. Right. You know. I can handle that, and I can go, hey, man, that's the way it goes. I can't handle the horrible effort against the Hornets. Uh, it's disgraceful. And so those two losses put you in a position where now it's a lot more likely you don't even make the play-in and just go win those two dumb games against the team that's not trying to win, that's not playing their best players. Just go win those two dumb games by trying harder, like as professionals. And we're not having this discussion. This is a way different conversation. So that frustration is there. But the reality is, there's as we record this, there's five games left. And you're in a position where, at worst, you have to go four and one and hope that the Thunder go two and three or the Pelicans or whatever. And it's just not an enviable position to be in that you didn't have to be in that position I mean, even just splitting the Hornet series, which is you're an like ideal. Fine. <laughs> you're fine. So, you're tied with the other team. You know? This is... It's very bad. How did this happen? It's very bad. Um, and, dude, and none of those losses after the Kyrie trade were like those two games. They have not played other games that were like those games. Yeah. There were, those two games were unique. And, and, frankly, there were stretches of the Warriors game that were kind of unique, too. Mm-hmm. Now, I had the, um, the unique pleasure, actually, of... Hearing those games, so normally when the Mavs play at home, I'm at the game. But right. I wasn't at the Warriors game, I wasn't at the Hornets game, because it had some stuff going on. And I heard uh, Coop on the radio call, and I also, of course, saw uh, the TV call for parts of those games as well, including the game at Charlotte, too. And uh, most losses, 
right? Like Falwell always says, like the other guys get paid too. Yeah. Right? Many losses that you have throughout the season are going to be well, even if like you get outworked on the boards or you, you know, choke at the free throw line or whatever, you could still say, well, hey, the other team's got Joel Embiid and James Harden. Mm -hmm. All right, you know, sure. like they're really, really good. Philly is going to maybe go to the final. Well, probably not go to the finals, but I didn't expect to sweep Philly this year. Right. Which is what would have happened had they won that game. Exactly. Yeah. And they were maybe in a position to win, but Philly was also missed like three layups in a row to start the game. So like yeah, it could yeah. go either way. Yeah. But these games against the Hornets and and some of those possessions, especially on the defensive end against the Warriors, you can hear the exasperation in Coop's voice. There was a play against the Hornets where someone went to coast coast for a dunk and follow a set, and the Mavs called timeout as they should. <laughs> and I mean, he was kind of pissed. Like you can hear, you can hear even like the mightiest of homers. You know, I, I'm I'm among you. Yeah. Um, it's it's a lot to it's a lot to stomach right now. The uh, so I did call the Friday night game. Obviously, I don't do the road games. The Friday night game, and you would get to timeout and take your headset off, and then kind of have your own private discussion with the people that you broadcast with. Yeah, and then just kind of look around the stadium like yeah, or the arena I should say yeah. Everyone feels this. This sucks. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, this sucks. It's like, we could be somewhere else right now. You know, time is valuable. Yeah. Time is valuable in this world. <laughs> uh, so it would be cool if... Having just like a mid-game existential yeah. crisis, you know. It's like, man, it'd be cool if the people we were here for cared. But that's, I mean, that's an extreme thing. Obviously, they care. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're not in the locker room. But you can watch a game and go... Did you guys have other plans? Yeah. Was was there a scheduling conflict? <laughs> Is that what happened here at the worst time of the year? And so it's like, you know, I, I think that a lot of uh, fan behavior is too much. Don't know that there's really outside of insulting uh, someone's family or whatever. Don't ever do that stuff. Like players deserve a lot of angst over that. I'm not saying, you know, go be a jerk to him or whatever, but Dude, they were a part of it. They mm. know how bad that was. Yeah, I mean, the the ultimate Mark Cuban quote, right? You got it printed and hanging in offices, and you got... It was part of, I think, the team's intro video in 2016, is the one thing in life you can control is effort. Yeah. And it just hasn't always been there Dude, recently. it was horrible that weekend. Yeah. And like you said, there were some stretches. And... They, they did play well against Philly. I, uh, offense went dry. Three and a half like, quarters. They played, they played hard, yeah. even whenever they were missing shots. They, right. was, they were getting stops on defense skin. Yeah. Like, I saw them with my own eyes get stops. Yeah. Four and, stops. And then when you watch that, and you go, so what were you guys doing four days ago? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's possible. They have defensive limitations. They do. Mm. But it's possible. Things like this kind of, like, well, I don't know how often they happen, but there are inexplicable, like, a team just kind of falls apart at times. I mean, we've not seen, in April. Yeah, not not or March, not, not this late time March. Of year. I mean, well, the the 2011 Mavs kind of they, they had a did, little bit. The West Coast bit. swing. Yeah. Now. Yeah. That team is much better than this team. That team not, was third in that the team conference. Also went to the playoffs. Yeah, this yeah. Team might not, but like, right. it does happen to good teams. You've been around DFW for a while. You've been around the Mavs for a while, and you know Cowboys and uh, Rangers who opening day and baseball season and stuff. And mm -hmm. I guess we're going to get to watch a lot of baseball this summer, uh, potentially. Um, what what is the what's the fix? What is what is the fi can so is there enough time even left in the season for them to like rally the troops? This is why it's just so confounding to me. So think about how you felt that Friday night after the Hornets' loss. 
is the exact 180 degree polar opposite of what you felt like just one week before that on the same night mm -hmm. when Maxi Kleva scored the final six points of the game and they all mobbed each other. You're thinking like, this is the turning point. Luke right. is about to come back. We're about to go on an ass-kicking spree. How do you get one week later to there? That's what's confounding to me because it's not like, like the Golden State loss is very frustrating. And Followell told me this. I never fact-checked Followell because he's just fact-a-well. <laughs> uh, but we were, we were sitting there at halftime talking. He goes, you know the last time the Warriors won back-to-back -back road games? Do you know the answer to this? Uh, a long time ago. Do you know the answer? It was like December, right? I, well, he told me it was the NBA Finals the previous year. Oh, my God. Game four and game six of the NBA Finals was the last time the Warriors won back-to-back -back road games, and then the streak ended against the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah. So that's why it's all so frustrating. Now, yeah. we can sit here and debate, you know, what do you do with nine seconds to go? What's the strategy? And, and those kinds of things. The point being, they're there. Yeah. They're in the game. It's a competitive game. Warriors need to win. You want to win. So I understand being disappointed, but your season ain't over. Mm. I don't understand the two Charlotte games. And so I, that's why it's like, you know, you say, hey, is there enough time? Sure. I mean, I think so. I'd, I like the way they played against Philly, to your point, with what this roster is. But I still don't know how to process that in my brain. Mm -hmm. I can't understand that happening at that point in the year with that much on the line. So, you know, I'm generally, uh, I lean in towards optimism on possibilities if you have the right guys. And I firmly believe that if you have Kyrie and Luka, it puts you in a very unique position to do a lot of things. But what happens on the floor happens on the floor. And so after this, that past weekend, I just like started recalibrating everything going, hell, I don't know what to think about this. Good gutsy win gets the Pacers, right? They weren't rolling out their best guys, but you got to go play the next day. Yep. And what do you do when a team is resting all their best players, like Charlotte, for example, uh, <laughs> yeah. you kick their ass. And that's what the Mavs did against Indiana. And then, like you said, they competed against Philly. And then coming up this weekend, tough game against Miami in the very night, next night, tough game against Atlanta. Atlanta, both those teams have something to play for. Yep. So I feel like if you told me they won both of those games, I wouldn't be shocked because they have Kyrie and Luka. But I really would be surprised at this point. Yeah, that's that's the thing, right? Because they played pretty well against the Warriors. Mm -hmm. They played pretty well against the Sixers. Mm -hmm. They lost both of those games. Mm -hmm. You know, despite playing from in front for almost the entire game against Philly, and playing at home against a literally a historically bad road team for a playoff team, the Warriors are. I don't know why. I can't explain it. I can't explain how the Mavs lose twice to the Hornets. I can't explain how the Warriors are so bad on the road. Right. But the Mavs lost both those games. Yeah. And so it's not just playing well. you got to play well and win. Now, in the next segment, we're going to talk about what happens if they don't win. Because so it's a reality. We're going to pull up Tankathon, talk about table tennis a little bit. Um, but first, I want to uh, – the show's called Numbers on the Boards. Sure Skin. is. We talk about numbers yep. every now and then. Um, so there was a, a recent podcast of Zach Lowe and Tim McMahon talking about Luka Kyrie running the pick and roll and how they just haven't really done it. Now, I want to say they recorded that pod 
either right before or right after the Pacers game. Okay. Um, I want to say it was right after the Pacers game. Not too sure about that. Don't fact check me. It doesn't really matter for the, the sake of this conversation. So one thing that they talked about is that Luka and Kyrie have not screened for each other a lot um, since Kyrie's come to Dallas. They've played now, I think, what, 14 games together? Okay. 15 games together, something right. like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Only four wins in those games. Well, that's yeah, not encouraging. It's a little bit of a bummer. But in that time, uh, they've screened now for each other, I believe, 45 times was the number that they said. Okay. Um, now, that's not including the most recent game against Philly. So if you include the recent game against Philly, so Philly, Indiana, Charlotte, Charlotte, which is Charlotte was the first game Kyrie came back after missing a couple games. In those four games, they've screened for each other 30 times total, which is about eight per game. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go back and look at the overall time in the regular season where Kyrie played with LeBron in Cleveland, that's 2015, 2016, 2017. They screened for each other about eight times per game. Oh, wow. So I feel like there's like maybe a bit of a Mandela effect of like, because whenever the Mavs got Kyrie, that's what I thought of too. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. They can screen for each other every time down the floor. Right. This is going to be the staple of their offense. They can do it 50, 60 times a game. But then I went back and Chopper pulled the 2016 finals for me from the NBA archive. And I went back and watched that. And I was amazed at how often in the 2016 finals, which the Cavs won, Kyrie was in the corner. They weren't screening for each other you know, at all. Uh, but a lot of times, you, like, you screen to change matchups. Yeah. And more than – like, I remember all the discussion about, why don't Russ and KD screen for each other more? I'm like, well, you get the best defender on one guy, switch with the other best defender. That's like, the, that – there you go. Yeah, you're not, you're not gaining an advantage by having the two best defenders switch. Yeah, and if you look at the, those Warriors teams that they kept playing, and that was, like, the thing, right? Like, right. can Steph defend? Can Steph win a championship? Because they're just going to target them. That was, like, when the term mismatch hunting really – began yeah right um they only screened for each other 10 times per game in mm-hmm. the 2016 playoffs because they got good defenders on. yeah they had clay on Kyrie, yeah and they had iguodala on lebron i'm sorry i'm gonna point at whoever steph is guarding hey jr smith come here you're and, gonna screen for me and isn't that what they did to win the finals they yeah. got the rub and yeah, they, they got they, steph switched off on Kyrie, and he hit the shot yeah they did they targeted steph or they targeted festus azili once mm-hmm. andrew bogut got hurt whenever mm-hmm. bogut was healthy they were going at bogut uh sometimes they even go at draymond they mm-hmm. were never going at clay they were never going at iguodala it right. just wasn't happening right um and so even lebron and Ky- maybe there's like a mandela effect like that, that they just did that way more often than than i think um, but eight times per game is what the Mavs are doing, and, and I totally agree with what you're saying about why, right? So if you think conceptually about the Mavs' offense, how often do they run, like, a set play? I mean, hardly ever. Yeah, they run, like— you're Out of out-of-bounds? Yeah, they run, like, a pick-and-roll. Yeah, which, by the way, I'm, I'm this guy that doesn't consider the pick-and-roll a play. Yeah, it's like, a, I, it's it's an, like an idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's like— yeah. You can go. You can go to a gym right now and get in a pickup game and run a pick and roll. Yeah. You can't go to the gym right now and run floppy. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no one's like, going to do that. No. no. Do that. Um, but they'll run like a Luca Dwight pick and roll. They'll run the Spain pick and roll, which mm-hmm. is you have a screener and then you have a guy that screens the screener. Right. Uh, they do seventy-seven, which is where Luca goes from like right to left or left to right and gets mm-hmm. a double drag screen. Mm-hmm. You know, going all the way across the floor. That's it. Yeah. They don't run any stuff. Right. Part of that, I think, is Luca. Luca likes creating. Luca likes the floor setup. He likes his guys in the corner. Uh, but also, it's because Luca wants to find the weakest defender and go at that guy. Right. And for Luca, what does that mean? It means he wants to go at the smallest guy and bully him in the post, back mm-hmm. him down. Right. Or he wants to go at the biggest guy, drag his butt out 30 feet from the basket, cross him over in front of everybody, and bang a three right in his face, or get past him and draw a foul. Right. 
who's guarding Kyrie? Rarely is it the smallest guy. Right. Usually it's like against the Sixers, DeAnthony Melton yeah. or Jalen McDaniels. Yeah. A guy that there's there's no advantage to be gained for Luka targeting that guy. We would have, if like, like we were playing against him, we would have put Reggie on him, right? Yeah. Something of that nature. Like, do you, I mean, sure, like Luka is bigger and stronger than Reggie Bullock, but would you rather let Luka get matched up on Reggie or Luka get matched up on Luka? Yeah, or Tim. <laughs> yeah, or Tim, yeah, or right. literally anybody else. Sure. Kyrie, for yeah, example. right. And so the Pacers... Uh, the Pacers put Andrew Nimhard on Kyrie, mm-hmm. who's like six foot, maybe six one. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's taller than that. He's much smaller than Luca. Mm-hmm. And so the Mavs set a lot of screens to get Nimhard switched onto Luca. Luca bullied him in the post, drew double teams, kicked it out to shooters, and they were wide open. Right. So if that small guy or that big guy or that weak link is going to be guarding your other All NBA player, then yeah, they're going to screen for each other all the time. Uh, but against Philly, for example, they would screen each other a lot. And nothing happened. There yeah. was nothing good. They did it twice in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Both possessions went nowhere. One was a desperation Josh Green three. One was a desperation Reggie Bullock three. Both contested both times. Uh, Luca once and Kyrie the other time. Both times they got in the lane. Embiid was just completely ignoring Maxi Kleba or Reggie or Josh Green, whoever his man was on that possession, just completely ignoring him, standing at the basket, parking it in front of the rim. And so you have your uh, guard driving with a man on his hip into Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. And they just literally picked up the ball in the middle lane and stopped and looked around for someone yeah. to pass to. And that was it. And sometimes, the worst case scenario, is it takes so long to set that up, you get stuck in the lane, you have two and a half seconds to make a decision before the buzzer goes off. Right. And so your possession goes to S. You know, And that has happened a lot. And so I think just the idea, this is, I guess, my response to the national conversation is if there's an advantage to be gained, the Mavs will find it, Yeah. right? But sometimes it's not going to involve Kyrie. Sometimes that's not going to involve Luka. But I also understand, like, the Haralabob uh, had a tweet about this. The Haralabob concern that Kyrie is in the corner on a lot of these possessions. Mm-hmm. But, dude, not that Ty Lue is a genius and the Cavs, like, revolutionized basketball, but go back and watch the 2016 finals. Right. You will see way more possessions where either Kyrie or even LeBron James yeah. are standing in the corner then you will them interacting with one another on the same trip down the floor. Yeah, and I think what really, like, I think you laid all that out beautifully, and I think what it comes down to, and there will be a lot of discussion about this, is trying to decide if the Mavericks are playing the right way. That's really what it is. It's very similar to James Harden in Houston. Is this the right way to play for the team? Uh, Luka is an exceptional generational talent. Do you want to create a team where you do that and you don't run actions? Like, I think I, I get the outsider when I say the outsider, the fan or the media person, you know, we're outsiders. Uh, we're not in the locker room. We're not in coaches meetings. So there's philosophies and ideas of, hey, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to go about doing it. And I realize the person I'm going, well, why don't you play this guy instead? Because he's doing this like, well, that's actually not how we're going to play. We think the best way to take advantage of our team is to play this way. So this is what we're going to do. And so I think philosophically, the Mavericks are going to have with or without Kyrie moving forward. He's an unrestricted free agent. You can even watch during the stretch since the trade where there's moments where they're playing a different style of basketball when Kyrie's out there and Luke is not. And okay, is this the better way to play in general? Mm -hmm. And 
I'm always of the belief that, yeah, putting the ball in Luca's hands is incredible. He's an elite player. But I just think, philosophically speaking, in basketball, you need tempo. The teams that don't play with tempo are teams that don't have anybody, and so they're going to ground the game down to a halt. Like, hey, the, the, the rebuilding Mavs yeah. played like 85 possessions per game. Right. It was terrible. Hey, uh, Mike Fratello's coaching our team. He doesn't have anybody. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be a grind. Yeah. And that's a coaching decision by a very smart coach going, mm -hmm. honestly, the best way for us to win is to limit possessions and limit mistakes. Mm -hmm. That's the best way for us to win. Yeah. And so the Mavericks are playing a style of – the best way for us to win is to just let Luca create what he wants to create. And that's fine and good until you do have a Kyrie. And then you have Kyrie, and then you see it, and you see the way tempo works and the way it affects other people. I'm a believer in general, tempo is good in basketball. Mm -hmm. I believe in that. And I think that works well with or without Luka Doncic. I think Luka, even if you have the, I think Luka's team should play with more tempo. I just believe that. And so I think there's going to be a big. Uh, who are we, what do we need to be to win basketball conversation going on uh, this offseason, whether it happens in five games or happens, you know, in another 20 games. Yeah, but, I mean, think back to, like, after the 2021 season. Mm -hmm. Like, that's pretty much what Donnie Nelson at the time and what Rick were saying, too. Yeah. And both of them, you know, obviously aren't with the franchise anymore. But, like, this has been kind of an ongoing, I don't know about concern with Luka, but, like, an ongoing thing. Is this the way to do it, or should we move the ball more? Should we be more democratic? Right. Um, I don't know. Maybe we should. Uh, maybe we should continue talking about this on the other side of the break too. I'll right? do whatever because man. there hasn't. There's not much else to talk about. Well, I don't want to sit here and count percentages for a lot. Oh, we'll probably do that we'll too. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely do that. It, it doesn't take much. Can go we go five and zero, oh, baby? Woo! <laughs> or I want it so bad. Or will it be zero oh and five? Uh, you'll find out right after this. Yep. Welcome back to Numbers on the Board, Studio 41 Radio, 97, won the freak, etc., etc. Skin, last segment, mm -hmm. we were talking about, um, I don't know, uh, tempo, I guess, just the idea of tempo. I remember now, those days. There, there's an important distinction between tempo and pace. Yes, please. You can have very long possessions, mm -hmm. be a very slow-paced team, meaning you're not going to have many trips down the floor per game. Yeah but you can still be moving a lot, not right. just moving the ball, human movement, mm -hmm. cutting, yes. screening, off-ball stuff. Yes. Um, the first thing I noticed when Kyrie debuted, and that was even without Luka, is that right. they were running off-ball stuff to get Kyrie looks, and that has continued. Yes. They typically don't run a lot of off-ball stuff. But uh, the other thing, if you're talking about why tempo can be good, more movement, more touches, more speed, is – like Josh Green is the living embodiment of what tempo can mean yeah. because whenever he's out there with one of Luca or Kyrie, spe specifically Kyrie, his numbers really dang good. Mm -hmm. Whenever he's out there with both of them, his numbers really dang like zeros. Uh -huh. uh, Josh Green, Jaden Hardy, kind of same thing too. With, yeah. with Luca, he's a spot up shooter. Without Luca, he's a creator. Right. Um, now we're not taking a dump on Luca here, but no, like, no, no. What is the what is the way that they can maximize those guys and also be more tempo-y while still having Luca be like the the artist? Yeah, and I also think that you know trying to judge the, like mid season trades, you don't change your style, mm -hmm. you know, and so that's why I think you see a stark contrast when Luca's on the floor and when he's not on the floor, right? Uh, because the the things they do with Luca have proven out to work. They work offensively. 
like um, at historic rates, by the way. Yeah, I mean, we're talking one of the best players of all time in the half court. Right. I'm I'm very much speaking on just overall philosophical things, you know, moving forward. I believe, like, I'm glad you made that distinction between pace and tempo, uh, because. Pace is really about how many shots you're getting up in a game. Are you shooting? You can shoot early in a shot clock and not be have a bunch of fast break points. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to create pace. And then also movement uh, creates a different kind of energy, right? Like you can watch a team play half-court basketball, and if there's a lot of movement and you're not even really like dialed in on nuance, your eyes are going to perceive it differently than one guy backing someone down in the the floor is spread Mm -hmm. like just watching it even if you're not thinking about what you're watching your eyes perceive like a 20 second warriors possession is like a acid trip it's dazzling yeah and there were some numbers when uh luca was hurt that we threw up on the the bally sports broadcast about just their sheer number of passes going way up Mm -hmm. because of the movement and what it creates it's so funny Kyrie is an exceptional iso player all right and so then I think people's minds go to, because of the way we use these terms, people's minds go to, all right, he's pounding the rock. Dude, I think Kyrie advances the ball faster than anyone else on our team. If you talk about, and it's because he reads the floor so well, he knows what pass to make, and he's really good about giving it up. And so Luca likes to have the ball because what he's trying to do is he's trying to move people around the way that he wants to move them around. Like, that's why you see these incredible whip passes, you know? He's working to get himself to a position to make that pass. He knows when he's going here, I bet I can get this defender to go here and then make and this pass. And crucially, he does that because he knows that Jaden Hardy is going to be in the corner. Yeah. Like, it, he makes these behind-the-head no-looks because he demands that the sport, the floor be spaced yes, perfectly. Yes, absolutely. And so there's a method to that madness. And so I don't want anyone to think that, you know, perceive this conversation as, oh, he's just – Pound in the rock. No, there's a method to all of this, and it's successful, and that's why the Mavericks play it. Uh, but I do think that you don't have to just do that with Luka. I do think Luka can play with pace. Uh, and even with when pace, I mean, like, I mean, specifically more ball movement and actions within a half-court set. I think ultimately it makes his life easier. I believe that. But I understand, like, Luca probably very much wants to play the way that they're playing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a way that he can control the game. And great players want to control the game, not because they're selfish, because they think it'll help them win. Like, you know, you can go back and look at all that Phil Jackson stuff, and he had to convince Michael Jordan, you've got to do this, this, and this, because Mike's like, dude, I'll win. Give me the ball. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how we win. It's not a selfish thing. It's not, I want all the shots. It's, no, I want to win. And so I think moving forward, if they are able to retain Kyrie, which I'm very hopeful of, I think there will be some philosophical changes to the way that they approach their game, even when they're both on the floor, because I think it's going to make Luka's life easier ultimately. And then I also think then you're going to get to critical moments. I mean, you know, at the end of games, the Spurs don't run crazy actions. You know, it's it's going to come down to ISOs with best players and pick and rolls and matchups. That's what you do in that uh, those settings. So that's always going to be a part of what they do. But I think moving forward, I think we're going to see more pace and more tempo, no matter what the roster is next year. I think I think it demands it. It's kind of a new thing to experience around here because if you think back to like the Dirk years, Dirk didn't bring the ball up the floor. Mm-mm. So like it it didn't matter really like who the the point guard was. He was still gonna he needed to 
have the ball delivered to him in his spots. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, there were very clear differences between the Steve Nash offense, the Devin Harris offense, the Jason Terry offense, the Jason Kidd offense. Yeah. Jose Calderon, Monte Ellis, like all of these lead guards that the Mavs had drastically different styles, different mm -hmm. tempos, different paces to the offense. At the end of the day, though, Dirk was always Dirk. Yeah. But now your Devin Harris, your Jose Calderon, your Jason Kidd is also your Dirk. Mm -hmm. You know, so right. like there's a huge, there's just a very, very undeniable difference in how an offense is set up whenever your best ball handler is also your best scorer. And yeah. that just has not been something we've seen much around here. Right. And I think it's going to be a learning curve for Luca, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's, that's part of it too. And I think like, you know, Luca expressed some frustrations a week and a half ago or wherever it was and then didn't you know, didn't reveal what that, he spoke about it more vaguely, and so then people are, are jumping to conclusions. I thought Mark Stein wrote a really good piece about this. Like, Luca does not dig losing. And then, be, and one of the reasons, there's a lot of reasons, but it also starts bringing a lot of scrutiny and criticism. And, dude, nationally, he's experiencing a lot of criticism for the referee stuff, the technical fouls, because it's happening on a national stage, right? And so... If you have a guy that's getting technical fouls, uh, like uh, Brooks from Memphis or Draymond, and they're winning, that's a different national conversation than a guy getting technical fouls yeah. while they're losing. So now it's like, look what his actions are doing to hurt this team. And, and I think there's conversations happening nationally that Lucas hasn't experienced before, right? And it's like, wait, what, what is this? And so, and then when you can't get the win to put it back in their face, that's something he's got to deal with that he's never dealt with before. So he's not experiencing joy right now. It's not a joyful basketball situation. Not only are they not winning, we're in a trash talk world. And now he's got to deal with the trash talk and not win at the same time. It's okay when someone trash talks you and you hang the W in their face and you go to the Western Conference Finals. It's not fun when they trash talk and you're in – can we make the play in? And he talks too. You oh, know, dude. Everybody act up when they up and the Devin Booker picture. Like, yes. you know, it's kind of one of those things where if, if you dish it out, you got to be able to. You got to be able to take it. it. And, and I know. think, I think he's, again, like we always talk about maturity and age and all that stuff. You've got to go through all that stuff. I can't think of the dude. I mean, maybe Magic Johnson that came into the league with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or maybe Larry Bird that had Parrish and, you know, I think Bird's first year, they had tiny Archibald running. You know what I'm yep. saying? It's like those are different situations. But every one of these badass players in the league right now, they all had to go through it. Think about all of the criticism that Chris Paul has taken in oh, his yeah. career. That, yeah, to this day, still gets. To be one of the best players in NBA history. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is the first time Luka is experiencing criticism in which he's not able to sh put a little W in your face. And so I think that's bringing him down. You know, and he mentioned some off-the-court stuff, which there's no sense in speculating on that because speculation ain't cool. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Um, and so, you know, it's not a joyous basketball situation right now. Um, but I think that that's ultimately a good thing for him because I think he's a winner. I think he's proven that he's a winner. And I think self-evaluation, this is going to be, if they don't make the playoffs, which seems likely they won't based on five games being left and having to win the way that they have to win, Dude, you gotta have a long off season. Yeah, one of the one of the great things I'm sure, not the time, but man, Dirk having to deal with that long 2007 off season, brutal. He went to the Australian outback, man. Came back a different person.
And yeah. a few years later, he won it all. But it took him a long time. Yeah. It took LeBron a long time. Yeah. It took KD a long time. Right. Um, Dude, think about you know. Shaq. Like, Shaq went to the Lakers, and they didn't even win it first. Yeah. Took him, he was, what, eighth, ninth year yeah. by the time he won. And he's one of the... Ten best players ever. LeBron yeah. got his ass spanked by Dirk before yeah. he won it all. <laughs> and he's the leading scorer in the history of the league. Yep. It can take a long time, man. You gotta take your lumps and you gotta learn from your mistakes. But to go back to tempo and pace, if there's one mistake to learn from, mm-hmm. what is the single biggest disp- I know you don't know this, Eric. Maybe you do. Fifteen. Maybe what is the single biggest disparity in Mavs statdom in wins between wins and losses since the All-Star break? What is the one stat that when the Mavs win, it could be a Mavs stat or an opponent stat. When the Mavs win, this is really good. When the Mavs lose, this is really bad or much higher, much lower, whatever. What is the single biggest indicator of whether or not the Mavs are going to win a game over the last month and a half? Is it, my first thought is points in the paint, but I think even in wins, it's horrible. Uh, Is it um, three-point shooting percentage? No. What is it? It is points off turnovers. Oh, wow. Is that right? And that is connected to fast for, break points. Uh, for the for other the team. Oh, for the Mavs, for the Mavs. getting points off turnovers. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Okay, I would not have had that. And how do you score off a turnover? You run Live the ball, ball down the yeah. floor. Get down the floor. Dunk yeah. it. That's a fast break point. So, yeah, right. fast break points are like three to four points higher per game in wins versus losses. Mm-hmm. Points off turnovers, seven, eight points higher per game. You go back and look at there, – there were some in particular, like I think the Phoenix game, uh, one of the Memphis games – uh, I think the Pelicans game, where the other team is turning it over like 14, 15 times, the Mavs score like 10 points yeah. off of those. You cannot. No. You, cannot, you gotta score like one I, and a half points per turnover. I just like, I just think professional sports is so effing hard for you to not take advantage of easy stuff. Yep. And tempo, and even like the thing I always talk about with tempo, you know, there's gonna be a disparity in fast break points and what tempo also causes because cross matches matter. Um, you know, early shot clock stuff matters, all that stuff, just pushing the ball, it helps, man. Mm-hmm. It just absolutely helps. You can't make everything a slog fest grind. Yeah. Dude, it, take advantage of the easy stuff. Turnovers and free throws. Yeah. Oh, my if God. If you well, just do that, we're good. <laughs> for, think, but here's the other thing. The free throw conversation's done. Yeah. Like They've been once, shooting well. They have been shooting well. Once we traded for Kyrie, yep. everything changed. Who I believe... I don't want to jinx it. I believe he has still missed zero free throws in the fourth quarter Is as that a right? member of the Mavericks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it helps to make your freebies, yeah. kids. Okay. Uh, now, if they don't score any points off turnovers, mm-hmm. they don't get a lot of fast break points, it indicates that they might lose some games. Uh, Mavs have five games left. Weekend back-to-back at Miami, at Atlanta. Mm-hmm. They come home to finish the season against the Kings, the Bulls, and the Spurs. Four playoff uh, viable opponents and San Antonio. Going to be very tough. If the Mavs do not make the play-in, it means they will be in the lottery. Now, as it stands right now, the Mavs have the 11th worst record in the NBA. They're only a half game out of, like, 14th, and they're only a game behind, like, 8th. So it's going to change every day down the stretch. But the Mavs owe the Knicks a pick. Mm Mm-hmm. If it lands outside the top 10. Okay. So if the pick lands inside the top 10, Mavs keep their pick. If it doesn't, uh, New York gets it. It could be 11th, could be 30th. It's the Knicks. Now, Skin, if the Mavs finish the season with the 11th worst record as they are right now. We get Victor? (laughs) Close. Okay. Close. 
They would have a 9.4% chance to move into the top four. Okay. They would have a 2.0% chance to get the number one pick. Oh, let's go. I like those odds. Yeah, pretty good, right? Can't believe so means, we put ourselves in this awesome position. Yeah. <laughs> it means you have a 90% chance of giving the Knicks the 11th pick in the draft, which would be a huge bummer. Yeah. And now, uh, for those Knicks who Because Knicks fans familiar, are cool on Twitter. Oh, they're sweet. They'll, yeah. they'll like, totally understand. Right. And it'll be great. Yeah. Uh, Jalen will be understandable, Oh, too. yeah. Um, for those who don't know the lottery, you can only move up into the top four or that or go backward. Like you can, so the Mavs are 11th. They could stay 11th, or they could move up to one, two, three, four. Yeah, it's not like a random like, oh, the Mavs are going to be the number six pick. No, yeah. you're either top four or you're nothing. Top four or a Nick. Yeah, and you could get leapfrogged. Now the Mavs could finish with the tenth worst record, and someone beneath them could get really lucky, move okay. up into the top four. If it's yeah. going to happen, to any franchise, it's going to happen in the Mavs. Yeah, they've never moved up on lottery night ever, even when they were the worst team of all time in okay. the nineties. Okay, yep. they would always move down. If the Mavs, however, can move up, move up, <laughs> move. Down slash up, up slash back, yeah, you know, uh, into the top 10. They would have like a 15, 16, 17, 18, 19% chance, depending on where they pick, to move Kay. into the top four Kay. and like a five, six, seven percent chance. All right. At the number one overall pick. This and is how I approach blackjack. We cannot, uh, we cannot encourage youth movements on this channel. We can't even say the T word. But trade, uh, cl uh, similar. Terminate. Yes. Yeah, okay. I don't know how to feel about all of this. The conversation's already started in public. I'm sure the team is trying to make the playoffs. Yes. But every game that you lose is one step closer to being like, okay, what happens to this pick? Are right. we really going to finish 11th and potentially cost ourselves, you know, something that could be nice? So, yeah. look, I've had one, and this is not deviated, despite the horrible circumstances they find themselves in. I've had but one desire since they traded for Kyrie to have it be fun for Kyrie. Mm -hmm. uh, what, because once you give up the future pick and the other players that are good players and matter for you, uh, once you do all that, you better keep Kyrie. And Kyrie is a guy that, you know, I haven't gotten to know him uh, from afar. I dig him. I dig the impact he seemed to have. And I, I look at the way... You know, when he when we traded for him, we had Chandler Parsons on our show who just raved about the dude. Just mm -hmm. dude. And and it's it's true, man. Players I, on every team come up to him before and after and during games. They love Kyrie. Yeah. And in general, I love dudes that do a ton of philanthropic things and don't have like social media crew following them and blasting it everywhere because it's like he just wants to change people's lives. That's that's amazing. Um so there's a lot of things I, I really like about Kyrie. But if I'm just from afar analyzing, man, the guy wanders around and what situation's better than this? Where can I go next? And all those things. So you want to have a situation here that he wants to stay at. This does not feel like a situation worth staying at being like totally objective, right? Yeah. Your best player is talking about like being sad and then you lose to the Hornets twice and there's three week, two and a half weeks left in the season. Mm -hmm. That's not a great situation. Yeah. So, but on, on the other hand, just to be devil's advocate. Yeah. Here, yeah. Yeah. Let's say you go four and one and you climb up to the number nine seed and then yes. you lose in the plane. Is that any better? I think it shows resolve and I think it shows caring. And I, I'm leaning in on one thing that I do believe I do know that he loves Jason Kidd and he loves Nico Harrison. Mm -hmm. And so 
Like how much you love somebody and dig them isn't going to keep you there necessarily. You've got to be able, especially at the age he's at, it's about making the most money in a great situation. Now, he's not going to be able to go anywhere and make, he's not going to be able to leave here and make the most money. That's also a great basketball situation. Like, uh, I will. Just like Jalen Brunson, for example. Well, okay, but no, that's fine. Look at him. It's, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm past it. It's I'm terrible good. losing an asset. Um, but, I mean, the Mavericks could have paid more for Jalen Brunson. Could have paid him. Like, you know, the, in hindsight, Jalen Brunson's a max player, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The Knicks didn't move enough money to make him a max offer. How many teams lined up? Like, it's really easy. He's a max player. Really? Because that's not what the Knicks paid him. Mm-hmm. The Knicks cleared out enough room where if the Mavericks wanted to, they could offer 30. Mm-hmm. But didn't happen. Right, that's so that that's hindsight stuff. Whatever, there's no sense talking about Jalen Brunson now. Yeah, it's but, over. I'm fine. I, but I don't think at the age of 31, do you really think Kyrie's going to take less money to go somewhere else? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. So what's the great basketball? So my whole point is that if he doesn't want to be here, a sign and trade has to happen, right? I just think the best case scenario for the Mavericks moving forward is for Kyrie to want to be here, give him the bag, and he's here. And then once that happens. Man, your July is a lot different. Mm -hmm. It's a lot different. It is. Now, despite the cluster F comments, that was literally about the standings. It wasn't about about the the Mavs' little pickle that they're in. They're in quite a predicament. Uh, He has really enjoyed it here. Like you said, he loves J-Kid, loves Nico. uh, By all accounts, gets along well with a lot of the the players on this team. Yeah. Um, It is just a very tricky position to be in because how often – Let's. Ass- you can never assume anything, okay? You can't assume that Jalen's going to resign. You can't assume Kyrie's going to resign. But how often do you find yourselves in a position where you could have two legitimate top ten, yeah, ish, or top top five where players you're in the NBA? Say? I mean, I don't know, top fifteen, top twenty at worst. Uh-huh. Players in the league on your team, and a top ten pick in the draft. I mean, like, look at the Warriors. Do you think now, the Warriors, like, they had James Wiseman. They kind of blew that they pick. They blew that. But imagine if they would have not drafted James Wiseman. Imagine if they would have drafted. What if the Pistons hadn't drafted Darko Milicic yeah. and they had drafted Mello, uh, Mello into what if that? The, what if the Warriors had won the lottery and got LaMelo Ball yeah. or Anthony Edwards? Right. Or, like, how often do you find yourselves in a situation where you have, like, a realistic decent chance to get, like, a really good player or look, have a really good pick that you could then trade? So it's, if you, I'll, say, I'll say this. If the Mavericks get in the top four, then okay, now we're cooking, right? Mm. If they lose five games in a row and get the tenth pick or whatever, yeah, I mean it's I not don't great. Think, but I don't it think is that's pick, enticing. It to is Kyrie. a tradable. Uh, yeah, I'm not trying to even use it to like sell it to Kyrie, but like it is a tradable piece. It instantly becomes you, the best thing that they can trade. Okay, no, everything you're saying is accurate. What I'm saying is. You did the hard part. Like, I, you know, I don't want to get into a whole Donnie Nelson thing. Mm. Donnie Nelson got you Luka. You had the fifth pick in the draft. We were talking about Wendell Carter, homie. He got you the player. <laughs> Those dark times. Nico Harrison got you Kyrie. You got to keep those guys. They're so hard to get. Yeah. And so if you get a top four pick, all right, that's a conversation. If we're sitting there going, Kyrie, we got the 10th pick. Yeah, I'm. I'm just talking about the tenth pick as an avenue to get better. Better, I agree. Like they need that. They need to get they because they don't have more. a lot of stuff to trade right now. No, they don't. You know, and if if you you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's tough. The whole situation is tough. Five and zero, oh, baby. <laughs> All right, for more optimistic talk, keep listening to the corner three coming up next, and also we'll be back with you win, lose, or draw. 
in two weeks-ish on numbers on the boards. Yeah, get ready for that uh, matchup with the Nuggets. Yep. Uh, no, dude. Why, why stop there? We're going all the way to seventh, baby. We're going, <laughs> oh. we're going to the moon. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next time on Numbers on the Boards. Written by Fanboys. See ya.